like I said, it's good to be back. I want to start this morning by sharing a story. Um, probably two, oh, hey, what's up? Here we go again. Um, probably two years into student ministry. Um, man, ministry was going good, but it was ministry. Ministry was hard. And so uh, we had an awesome family in the church. Once a summer, they had some Pagosa, or no, some Wyndham Resort points. And so they would send us to Pagosa Springs, Colorado. It was awesome. Um, so we, me, we, being me and Rachel, went um, two years into our life in ministry and just went out hiking. It was a beautiful summertime in Colorado. And we went up uh, to this trailhead. We wanted to find this place called Pagosa Falls. And so we went to the trailhead, and the trail was so clearly marked. It was so well maintained. It was very easy to fall into and to travel down. The road down this trailhead was very, very wide. It was full of all kinds of different people. Um, and then, finally, we get to the waterfall. And the waterfall looked like this, which, all right. Like that, yeah, that's a waterfall. Like if you're from Arizona, that's definitely a waterfall. Um, but it was a little disappointing. And man, looking at this picture, like, I just want to tell that dude, enjoy the hair now, you know, because you got like three years, man, that's, that's peak right there. So, um, we did not go with Brooklyn that year. That was a few years after that first trip, but that wasn't really the trail that we were looking for. That wasn't really the payoff that we thought we wanted from this waterfall. We had heard so many people talk about this beautiful, glorious waterfall, and these are like Coloradans, okay? Like they know waterfalls because they have snow and snow melts, and I think when that happens, it turns into waterfalls just generally. And so we got to the, this little waterfall. There was, this dude was bathing in it. I thought that was kind of strange. Um, people all over the place just doing different things, stacking rocks. It was pretty new age. Um, kind of off to the corner, we see that there's kind of this little path, and we're not really sure what that leads to, but maybe that's to the waterfall that we were looking for, and people would kind of gather around this shallow water and this waterfall, and then they would take off down this path. Now, this path was much different than the first path. The first path was wide. It was easy to travel. Everyone was going that way. Few people were taking off down this path to the true waterfall. And so Rachel and I take off down this path. Now, we, uh, we planned and prepared for a half-mile hike, and everything in our backpack said half-mile hike. Um, two packages of peanut butter crackers. I don't know if you learned last week, but I like to snack. That's really an important thing to me. Um, and two water bottles. Now, the path that we started going down, thinking that that first waterfall wasn't quite good enough for us, um, something was calling us out into the wilderness a little bit further. That path ended up being four miles long, um, and it would get all the way up to 12,500 feet. There was, at one point, I thought we were going to Mordor to destroy a ring. I felt like <laughs> a little hobbit. I just didn't know where we were anymore. I thought it was like, is this Narnia? I'm not sure. But we finally get to the waterfall, and the waterfall that had the payout was this waterfall right here, this side. Okay, now I'll get on this side. Now you guys can see it. That's the waterfall, and I don't care who you are. If you are a man in this room and you see a waterfall like that, you're checking behind it for treasure, okay? <laughs> so I went and I looked for treasure because I want to know where the gold's at. And so it wasn't back there. It, it just wasn't, and I almost died doing it, but it was worth it. And then we hiked back, and, and I almost died again. But I say all that to say that 
in life, there are two paths. One is easy. Everybody we know is going to be traveling down that path, but there is a path that is harder. There is a path that is more narrow. There is a path that is more difficult to traverse, and that path is the path to eternal life. And that's where we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount today. We are starting chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the beginning of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the best sermon ever preached by the best preacher that ever walked this earth in Jesus. And so this is the beginning of the conclusion. And so I will cover the first half of the conclusion today. Jacob will cover the second half of the conclusion next week. So this morning, we find ourselves in Matthew 7, 13 through 23. Today, we are presented with a choice from Jesus. But we see that this is not the first time this choice has ever been presented. This is in the New Testament. This is Jesus talking. But if we look back to the Old Testament, we'll see in Joshua 24, 15, that Joshua is talking about choosing today what God or gods you will serve. And as we see for Joshua, he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Proverbs 15, 19, we have a choice. We can go the way of the slacker. We can go the way of the upright. And then in Psalms 1, we see that we can choose the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And so today, Jesus presents us with another choice that is very similar, very familiar to the people that he would have been speaking to because they would have had the context of those three choices presented to them before. So Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So this morning, we're going to be faced with three different choices that we have to make, and the first choice that we're faced with this morning is do we go by the way of the narrow gate or the wide gate? the narrow gate or the wide gate. Now Jesus is presenting these two choices, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, straight up, go the way of the narrow gate. Because if you go the way of the wide gate, it will lead to destruction. It will lead to death. It will lead to hell. And he doesn't just stop there. He gives us a reason why. Go the way of the narrow gate because the wide gate as we see in verse 13, is the gate that leads to eternal death. This is the way that will be easier to travel in life. This is the lifestyle and following the culture that will be so much easier for you if you just go that way. It will be the path of least resistance because people won't resist you on something that they are also following down. It's the way of open-minded thinking, not the way of narrow thinking. So as believers, as people that follow Jesus, as his disciples, we have to ask ourselves, what does the wide gate look like today? And why is Jesus telling us to stay away from it? Well, not only do we see that it leads to eternal death, it leads to destruction, but I think we can kind of start to see these things in our culture at large today. The wide gate for us today, outwardly, when we look at the world around us, when we look at culture, looks like universalism. It looks like this idea that all roads lead to the same heaven. It looks like you can go left, you can go right, you can go up the middle, you can do a loop-de-doo in between, and it doesn't matter. Because no matter what God you want to worship, every single one of those choices will lead to the same outcome, and that is heaven. 
we see within Scripture that that is absolutely not true. Culture today looks like being woke. It looks like finding your own truth. But the problem with finding your own truth is there is only one truth. And so if everyone is finding their own truth, then that means everyone is actually finding a bunch of lies. Everyone is actually deceiving themselves. The wide way that leads to the wide gate, that leads to destruction of the world, looks like gender fluidity and not following God's design and how he made us. It looks like love is love and across the board. But that's not what we see in Scripture. We see that God created man and woman to be together. When we look at culture today, culture says, you do you, boo-boo. You don't worry about me, and I won't worry about you. But I think what we'll see as believers is that's not love. And that's certainly not love when it comes to the church. I can't love you as my brother, as my sister in Jesus, and see you walking into a house that is on fire and not do anything about it. That's laziness. That's passivity. That's apathy. And I love you enough that if I see you heading into a house that is on fire, I want to save you before you get there. And if you run right past me, then I'm going to go in that house and get you out of it once it's on fire and once you start to catch flame as well. The culture around us says that truth is truth and I need to find my truth, but if my truth, that's for me, but if if your truth offends me, then I'm going to cancel your truth out at all costs. I'm going to silence it by whatever means possible. And all of it, all of it wrapped up together is saying that what I want is greater than what God wants for me. All of it is saying, I'm going to worship myself as God. I will be my own God. I will do as I please. I will follow my own path. I will worship myself because ultimately I know better. That is the wide path. We see in three verses this morning that that is absolutely not true. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we have put a crazy big magnifying glass on this piece of scripture before. And what we've seen is Jesus is not saying, I am a way, I am a truth, and I am a life. No, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth, and I am the life, the only life. And if it is outside of me, it is a lie. Because no one comes to the Father except through me. We see in Acts 4, 6, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than that of Jesus. We see in 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So outwardly, There is a wide path. There is a culture that is marching as fast as it can straight to the pits of hell. And as believers, we can look at that and we can judge that and we can have our opinions on that and we can sit around and we can talk about that. But there's another wide path. And that path isn't out in culture. That path is actually inside of us. It's actually in our own hearts. 
And it's this mindset, it is this deceitfulness that creeps into our hearts of independence. When we say, I can do this in my own strength. When we say, I don't need anyone or anything, especially you, God. You take a break on this one. I've got this. When we say, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And as we've looked at time and time again, that is anti-gospel. As Christians, as believers, we see that we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we are absolutely disastrous, messy, broken people who are in need of a Savior. We couldn't earn it ourselves. But Jesus, in taking our sin when he took the cross, we've received his righteousness, and he earned our salvation. He is the one that pulled us up out of the muck and out of the mire, and it is only him. It's not by our own strength. Inwardly, it's individualism. It's us saying, this is just how I am. Other people should just accept me and embrace me for who I am. And that is dangerous because now we see that goes all the way across the spectrum into now, not only am I different and do you have to accept me for my differences, no matter how wrong or how right they may be, but now also you need to celebrate me. You need to celebrate my uniqueness my specialness, my individuality. And then there's also another one. And I think, men, this is what hits us hard. I think this is the biggest draw to us as leaders of the home, and that is in passivity. That is in laziness. That is in apathy. I'll just take care of it later. It's no big deal. I'm worn out right now. It'll work itself out. I don't need to tend to this right now. Or, that's not my problem. And it may not be your problem until it ends up on your front doorstep. And if we keep being passive, eventually it will. We can't let someone else take care of it, whether it's out in culture, but especially if it's inside of us in our hearts. And then there's fear. Everyone and everything is out to get me. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety is us worrying more about ourselves and having to take care of our own problems out of our own strength instead of leaning into God, knowing that he will provide, that he is the great provider. There's addiction. There's escapism. There's comfort. There is convenience. These are all things that we have to watch out for. Yes, we need to be aware of what's going on in the world. Yes, we need to be aware of what's going on in culture. But we also need to be aware of what is going on inside of our hearts. There was a recent podcast interview uh, by Mark Dever. He is a pastor of a church called Pillar Church. And he was interviewing a Swedish church planter and pastor by the name of Johnny Lithel. And he asked him this question. He said, Sweden often ranks first in terms of World, uh, in the World Values Survey in secular, secularism and individualism. Do you have any advice to American churches as a pastor in Sweden that is further down the path of secularism, which is coming for us? And Lithel answered, never underestimate the power of individualism. That thing just wrecks churches. We should never rest in working against it but helping people understand that they are part of a body. Jesus died on the cross to cleanse us of our sin, 
to put us in right relationship with God, to adopt us into his family. And being a part of the family of God is not an individualistic thing. It is not something that we can say, I've got this on my own. Saying I've got this on my own and trying to go about the Christian life is the zebra that wanders away from the pack when the prowling lion is close by. And if that is us, that lion will attack and we will be taken out. We have to stick together in this thing called Christianity in our walks with Jesus. So when it comes to the wide gate and the wide path, we're pulled onto it, we're pulled into it by our own selfish and sinful nature. And we see in that that the wide gate is entered unintentionally. It's something that we're born into in the broken world. Its magnetic pull is not something that we can escape. We end up on this wide path by just living life. We don't even have to try to look for it. It's just something that finds us. But that's not the only path. That's not the only gate. What did Jesus say at the beginning of verse 13? Follow. Find the narrow gate. Follow the narrow path. Because the narrow gate leads to eternal life. The thing about the narrow gate is because it is narrow, because its path is hard, that nobody enters the narrow gate. Nobody finds the narrow path unintentionally. It is not something that we can just stumble upon, but it is something that we can seek. And when we seek it with all our heart, we can find it. It is something that is revealed to us by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is something that is hard to live on because the terrain is rough. But it is something that is absolutely worth traveling on, regardless of how hard it is, because the narrow path leads to eternal life. And so we answer the question, what is the wide path that leads to the wide gate? So now we have to answer the question, what is this narrow gate and this narrow path, and what does that look like for us today? For us today, it looks like a counter-cultural life in Jesus. When Jesus came and he called his disciples, he was setting them aside, setting them apart to live holy lives in service to him. It is us finding Jesus as the only way. It is us following God's design in our marriage, in our families, in our sexuality, in our worldview. It is us living a life of obedience and faith and spiritual discipline. I think we can hear the word discipline and think, oh, that's, that's works-based Christianity. And here's what I want to say this morning. That yes, the gospel is opposed to you earning it, but the gospel is not opposed to effort. There will be a time when Jesus calls you to him. And at that time, there is effort that needs to go into that relationship. There's effort that needs to go into learning to read God's word. There's effort that needs to go into learning to talk to God in prayer. If I didn't put any effort in my relationship with my wife, we wouldn't have a relationship anymore. It would have been that trip to Colorado and we out. She wouldn't have known bald, dad bod version of me. But because this relationship is strong, she does. <laughs> the life on the narrow gate, on the narrow path, is a life that is hard because of persecution and suffering. Simply put, what Jesus is saying when he's saying follow the narrow path that leads to the narrow gate that leads to eternal life is you can't go against the flow. Now, 
uh, one of my favorite pastors in the world, y'all might know him, his name is Jacob Stevenson. When I'm, when I'm out of town, he, he likes to talk about me in uh, good ways and bad ways, but I just want y'all to know he's my favorite. And I heard him give this illustration one time, um, probably to a bunch of fourth graders through sixth graders, but I want to steal that today, and I want to give credit to where credit is due, and that is this picture right here. Do you guys know what this is? That's a lazy river, all right? And that's actually not a very crowded, lazy river. I've been in a lazy river at Hurricane Harbor in Arlington, Texas, in the middle of the summer, and it was just filled with people, single tubes, double tubes, and just from when I was guessing, a whole lot of urine, okay? <laughs> the way of the lazy river is that you just follow it, and you don't have to get out, and you should get out sometimes for bathroom breaks, but I don't, people just don't do that. And so you just keep following it, and that's life. We just keep following down this wide path that goes to the wide gate that leads to destruction, and we just keep following it around and around and around because it's easy. But what happens if you need to get out? And especially what happens if you get out and you miss the exit? See, that's what happens when Jesus calls you to himself. When Jesus calls you into a relationship with him to be made right before the Father, what happens is now you're going not with the crowd, but you're going against the crowd. Now you've got people in tubes hitting you from every which direction. Well, mainly just the direction of the water flow. And you've got to get out. You've got to duck, dive, dip, dip, dodge, all the way to the exit. You've got to go against the current. And that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do when he says, find the narrow gate. Follow down the narrow path. Go against the flow. It is going to be easy your entire life to go with the flow of everybody else, but that is the wide gate. That is the wide path that leads to destruction. And I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different. I want you to go a different direction because I have something different for you. And at the end of that, something different for you is eternal life. According to Tim Keller, if you travel down the path long enough, you will find that the narrow path is hard to live by. But at its gate, it opens up in freedom and grace. And it opens up into a life that is filled with joy in Jesus. It opens up to a life that is filled with the strength and the comfort and the peace that you need when things go wrong. And it is a life that opens up into forgiveness and to restoration when you do fall off that path. And then there's the wide path. And it's easy to follow, but as soon as you get to that gate, and as soon as you enter to destruction on the other side, what happens on that wide path? It was once so easy to travel, but now that you're on it, now that you pass that gate and you're entering into destruction, it closes in quick. And it closes in in legalism. Now, that could be religious legalism and having to earn your own salvation, following that lie, or just the legalism and the rigid systems that are deceitful in the world. It could look like self-earned righteousness, or it could look like constantly changing standards of the culture around us. It could look like always seeking approval, always longing for validation and never getting it. It could look like an endless search for love that you never receive because everyone else is out to worship and get love for themselves. and You never truly find it for yourself. Now, Jesus takes us from the path to the fruit. 
and not just the fruit, but the fruit of false teachers. Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Remember, this isn't Jesus being judgmental. This is Jesus making a judgment call, calling them how he sees them, calling them what they are. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Second point today, second choice that we have is good fruit or bad fruit. Who will you follow? What will you bear? We see in verse 15 that false teachers are deceptive. Jesus says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are poisonous apples. They are not transparent with their motives. They are keeping something back. They are a little bit of truth wrapping up a lot of lies. That life is putting lipstick on a pig. It might fool you at first, hopefully not. But what follows is detrimental. So we have to ask our Selves, as believers, as followers of Jesus, questions when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to their deception. So let's look at the questions. Their speech is eloquent, but is it faithful to God's word? They may look good on the outside, but what is the condition of their heart? What does their character look like? Who are they when nobody is watching? Their ministry may look good on the outside, But who is it exalting? Is it a platform for them to get notoriety, to get recognition, to get likes and shares? Or is it exalting King Jesus? We also see not only are false teachers deceptive, but false teachers are detectable. Thank goodness for that. Verses 16 through 18, we see that grapes come from the vine, not from the thorn bush. So we look to the source. We see figs come from the tree, not from the thistle. We look to the source. We see good teaching comes from true teachers. And it's not always in delivery, but it is in content. And we see that bad teaching comes from false teachers. And it often sounds good and often tickles the ear and often has just enough truth wrapped up in it that it can fool us. But then what do they do? They sneak in a false message that is interwoven, that appeals to our selfish selfish ambition. False teachers know how to trick young listeners. So let's be deceptive. Questions that we ask in detecting, let's be detective, not deceptive. Let's not be deceptive. Questions we have to ask ourselves when detecting false teachers are on a spiritual sense. Does what they believe line up with the gospel? Are we only saved by grace alone, through faith alone? Are they adding or subtracting anything to the gospel? Are they adding, now, if you follow Jesus and you love him enough and you give enough to this church that God will bless you? Now, that, that is a truth, but with the wrong emphasis put on it and that getting out of whack with the priority of the gospel and that being the main focus of the gospel, that becomes the prosperity gospel. If I just love God enough, if I have faith enough, if I give enough, then God will bless me with that Lambo that I've always wanted. And that's a lie. We see that all around us 
in the world today. There's not just a spiritual side of things. There is a practical side of things. And the question of, does their life line up with the gospel? Are they living out what Jesus is and who Jesus says that they are? Are they resting in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? Do they sin more so that grace may abound more? Or are they trying to earn their way into heaven with works and self-righteousness? See in verse 19, false teachers will be destroyed. Trees that don't bear fruit serve no purpose. Their limbs are cut off and they are disposed of in the fire. They will be destroyed. False teachers serve no purpose in the kingdom of heaven. But sadly, the people that they trick serve no purpose in the kingdom of heaven either. So we need to discern. We need to look at their lives and see, is the gospel in it? Jesus, in Matthew 3.10, he echoes what his cousin John the Baptist says about him. John the Baptist is saying that the axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This leads to our responsibility in the midst of all this, and that is our role. We are to know them by their fruit. We are to examine their lives. We are to discern their hearts. We are to test their spirits But let's not forget that in the midst of discerning and detecting everything and everyone around us, which we should be doing, that we also need to discern and detect and identify what fruit we are bearing inside of our own hearts. And I say these things, being a teacher of the word, and I say these things, handing a magnifying glass to every single one of you and saying, discern my life, because I know the slippery slope that pastors walk down. I know that it is easy to fall off the path that Jesus calls us to walk down. So discern my life. Discern my fruit. Am I living based off of who Jesus says I am, or am I trying to earn the approval of man? I don't want to ever say something that you should do for somebody else and not say that you should also do that for me. So, it's free game. It would be nice, okay? We dive into our last bit of scripture here, and this is some of the scariest words I think that Jesus says in the Gospels, and it's in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not plant churches? Did we not go to church? Did we not tithe? Did we not worship? Did we not show up to home group? Did we not help on setup? Did we not help on teardown? And in verse 23, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our third and final choice this morning is the choice of a true confession or a false profession. We see in verse 21 that we show our true confession by our obedience. And this isn't belittling our profession of faith. We see in Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a profession of faith. That is a confession that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so what this is saying is not everyone that professes Jesus 
will actually have a true confession of Jesus in their heart. It will be words that they say. It will be words that roll off their tongues. But when you look at their life, there will be no fruit of Jesus in their lives. So how can we tell a true confession from a false profession? We see that that is only in obedience to God's will. And in the same way that we show our true confession and obedience, we also show our false profession of Jesus by our disobedience. Pastor and theologian Don Carson says, It's true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom of heaven because of his obedience. It's not by works. It's not by the good deeds that we do. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, but it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life is inevitably results in obedience. So church, let's look at the wide path. Let's look at the world that is following it. Let's look at our tendency to follow that in our lives and be deceived in our own hearts. Let's choose the narrow path. Let's choose the narrow gate because that is not eternal death, but that is eternal life. Let's discern the fruit of the false teachers and the true teachers around us. And then let's live lives of obedience, lives that mirror the true confession that we've made of Jesus in our lives, not lives that are faking it in a false profession. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would help us to follow the narrow path. We may walk through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. For the believer in here, would you give them the strength? Would you give them the energy to stay on that path? Would you give them the the discernment to see false guides along the way that are trying to lure them off of that path into the wide path that leads to destruction? For those that are in here that have yet to find the narrow path, that have yet to start a relationship with you, that have yet to truly confess in their lives that they are in need of a Savior because they are broken and guilty and messed up because of the sin in their lives, just as we once all were. Holy Spirit, would you go to work in their life? Would you begin now to call them off of the wide path and onto the narrow path? away from eternal death and into eternal life? Would you help them to discern the things that they are intaking? To discern the teaching that they are listening to? The voices around them, whether that's from the world, whether that's from the church. Give them discernment, Jesus. Give us all discernment. And Jesus, help us to live lives of true confession over false profession. Jesus, I don't want to end up at the end of my life saying, Lord, look at all the incredible things that I saw you do. And you say, depart from me for I never knew you. But Jesus, I want to live a life of obedience that is a sign of the grace that you have shown to me. Knowing that I can never earn it, that it was a gift from you. 
I work and I live and I walk out of the gift that you gave to us in your life. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.